Incremental greetings. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Endless School Slavery Podcast, episode 7. Today we have the pleasure to have with us R- Rice. Can you introduce yourself, please? Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm a effective altruist slash utilitarian interested in improving the world. So I've uh, done a lot of teaching over the last year, and I've done some stuff with the Superman community as well. Now I'm trying to learn other things and I'm working on other things as well. Yeah. But, um, I'm just interested in helping as many people as I can. I'm not very good at it, but I'm trying at least for now. All right. So yeah, you're modest. We just education freedom. So just with some context, is that Rush introduced me to Super Memo some months ago. And you are now living in Japan, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Japan. But you are ori- originally from U- US. Yeah, yeah. My parents are Indian, but till I was 16, I lived in the US. Okay. So l- let me just ask, like, right away how you discovered how you end up here where you are today um wow oh uh, sometime when i was like young i think either when i was just becoming a teenager or maybe before that um i thought about what actually mattered and when i was really young i thought maybe money would be cool and i realized that i would be dead and money wouldn't matter very much And then I thought about like fame or being known after I died. And I think for a while I thought that that might have some significance. And then later I changed my mind again. And I thought the only thing that seems to matter is reducing suffering. Um, Because I don't like suffering and I haven't even suffered that much. I'm sure there are people that are suffering even more. Hmm. And helping people not suffer so much seems like a good thing to do. Uh, Which is a great ideal. But I did a very terrible job of... Well, basically, because I was young and I have ADHD and I'm not very conscientious, I constantly wanted to do things. I didn't know exactly what, but I never actually did things. And I was just chronically not very happy about that as a result. So much of my teenager years were like not the greatest, just because in my head I had overly high expectations, which weren't very reasonable. And it never occurred to me that being miserable is not a good way to get things done. Um, but... uh luckily enough maybe i think it's been a wait is it three years now maybe like two or three years ago hmm. um i discovered super memo and um at first super memo didn't really change my life like i tried it for a few days i was confused as hell hmm. i could not figure it out at that point the community was small i didn't even know the discord server existed hmm. um and then after like five months or something i stumbled on the discord server And I also stumbled upon the incremental reading manual, um, Hmm. which is basically the manual of how to use incremental reading. And the page that I stumbled on through basically gave steps on how to import the incremental reading manual and how to incrementally go through it. Hmm. And uh, starting from then, and I think this was January, maybe December or January, around two years ago, um, I started to do like a lot of incremental reading. Hmm. And that was sort of a very big thing for me. Because at the time, I'd been screwing around a lot. As usual, I'd been wanting to do things, but I was just screwing around. 
And finally, I had something where I could learn things and do it well and not go insane while trying to do it. Hmm. And I could stick to it consistently because I enjoyed it. And I wasn't having to tell myself to study. I just wanted to study. And uh, at that time, I was living in Korea. And I have a lot of very good memories of being in a subway or being on a bus and uh, having a laptop and using Supremo. Lots and hmm. lots of fun. Nice. Um, and those, and, and basically, that's that's where I, where I sort of discover a lot of Waza stuff. Like... When I was first starting Super, well, I guess I should go back a little bit more actually to when I like first discovered Superama. So I was browsing this site called Hacker News, which is kind of like Reddit, but not terrible. Um, <laughs> and there was this Wired article on Waz and yeah, space repetition. Hmm. And I was immediately like, this is cool as hell. How can I not be using this? And I think like that day or the next day, I immediately brought the software. Oh. Um, and I think. Around that time, I started to read some of Superama.guru, but like for like months, I was just sort of confused about how to do incremental reading. So I'd only read some of his stuff. And I think when I started to use Superama a lot, um, then I started to import lots and lots of his stuff. And I have fond memories of going through like the pleasure of learning article um, and all that kind of stuff fresh. And those those were great. I can sort of tell though, the, <laughs> just tell well Superama works because I lost my first collection um, Actually, around two years ago, like right around this time, two years ago, I think. Hmm. And I can tell now that a lot of my grasp on some of the stuff that I learned pretty well back then uh, is a lot worse than it was when I first started, like I'd first read some of this. Um, but okay, I guess that's kind of a meandering way to explain it. But that's sort of how I ended up there. I just discovered hmm. the like Waz article and I just read some of his stuff. Then I started using around the reading. Then I started to read a lot more of his stuff. Hmm. And now I think I've gone through like a very good chunk of his stuff. Um, probably the stuff I've gone through the most is the stuff on sleep. I think I've read 80% of it. Okay. Yeah. J just some context for the people who are uh, listening to us. How you will describe what Supermemo is? So uh, I think it's algorithmic learning. So it's sort of like how if let's say that you're at a shop and you have a digital register. You're not doing all these like micro optimizations of having to press like 20 different buttons. Like all it is, is just a few micro operations and it's good enough whenever someone comes to the register. And I look at Superman sort of being the same, like it offloads this very significant load of managing what you're learning. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it just increases by an order of magnitude, how much you can manage that going insane. Um, just because it offloads so much and gives you so much more time to focus on the content rather than the management of it. Okay, so right away you're using an analogy, which <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a good thing. It's what I'm seeing is that people who are versed already in Supermemo or uh, Spectre Petition are very versed also in using uh, analogies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's one observation I did. <laughs> and you, uh, you commented, mentioned um, the Wired article. That it was, I think it's called surrender to that algorithm, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something along those lines. Yeah, okay. And who's that? If I may ask, you were in Korea back then. So you went um, to Korea to to study to work or for some reason. So I'll, I'll go back a little bit farther first. So okay. I lived in the U.S. till I was sixteen. Hmm. I had the bright idea that if I lived in India for two years. For my last years of high school, it would be great, and I would have experience, and it wouldn't be so bad to go back to India later. 
at the time I thought it would be useful to go back to India because I had a lot of friends, not friends, a lot of relatives doing like businesses there. So I thought maybe I can just work for one of those later. So I thought it'd be worth it. Hmm. India was kind of not a great choice. Indian schools suck um, very much. But essentially, I ended up in Korea because when I was in India, I made a bunch of Korean friends and I won't get in the details. I started working on something with some, like with a friend and it was going pretty well. And after I graduated, I sure as hell didn't want to go to college. I thought it was a waste of time even back then before I'd even read any of the Superama stuff. But, um, I went in with him to Korea to work on that. And we both did a terrible job and slacked off because we made a bunch of money at first and then we didn't do very much, hmm. but essentially because of that, I'd ended up in Korea. Yeah. I see. Did you learn the language, the Korean language? Um, you know, funnily enough, well, for, at first I was learning it from my friend's sister and I was never like all that good at it, but I got good enough that I could order vegan food at restaurants, um, fairly well. I think I'm pretty proud of that. I could also yeah. talk to say a taxi driver, <laughs> um, mm. but I was never like really good at it. Like my Japanese and my Spanish are way better than my Korean. My Korean was always not that great hmm yeah yeah but uh, my question was um have you self-directed learning oh yeah for korean? korean yeah yeah for korean like i basically without realizing it i used anki before i used supermo and i completely mm -hmm. forgot about it but i tried using anki for a few days and i thought it was great and i forgot about using it and i stopped okay. um so for Korean in general, I, not th I never got that far using uh, space repetition. Like I used it a bit after that with Supremo, but not like any significant amount. I kind of regret that. I'm pretty sure my Korean would have been way better if I'd put more stuff into it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So uh, when you started to learn by yourself using Supremo, you started by language learning or incremental reading and then language learning? So I specifically... So it's 20, what was it? So let me do some math here. Okay. So I think it's either 20, oh, I think it was 2018, the summer of then that I discovered Supremo. Mm -hmm. And when I first started using it, I was trying it for language learning, I think, but like very little, because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I never like used it for language learning all that much. And I didn't really know any of the methodology behind what I was doing either. I didn't have like a clear plan. Like much, like a fair bit later, I started using Japanese for language learning and I started, I did a lot of stuff for that, but, um, I mainly was doing incremental reading, like most of my beginning super usage. Like there was a little bit of language learning in the beginning, but not that much. Mm, okay. Yeah. And then you said you added uh, Spanish. Yeah. So that I learned in, uh, like up till high school in the U S Oh. and, um, my Spanish, like I can still say stuff okay but my understanding is absolutely terrible because mm. spanish people speak way too fast um <laughs> but also i just never got much practice like mm. listening to spanish oh gotcha yeah but so, i don't even know how good my spanish is now that i haven't spoken it i think in months hmm. so you're learning spanish actually in the school in u.s yeah 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 nice um i have no idea how i'm not terrible at it i think it's because i sort of enjoyed it and, um, I think I, I make a lot of mistakes, but I think I also tried to think in it intentionally to ingrain words, hmm. though. I think it's also just that it's so much easier than like Japanese or Korean that it's like a lot easier to memorize words. And after a while they just stuck. Cause I've been studying it for like five years in school. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
five years. I think so. Uh, something like that. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm really interested in, in asking about uh, the school. So um, you learn Spanish because you want it at the school. What was like an optional thing to do? Uh, you had to take a language. It was either French or Spanish. I don't, I don't remember why, but I'd taken French till like fifth grade. And then when I went to middle school, I decided to take Spanish instead. Either that or it was required, I don't remember. Um, yeah. So awesome. I... Mm -hmm. Yeah, go, go ahead. So I remember at first I was like not a great student, but I think like in seventh grade, uh, I, I did a fair bit better. I don't, I don't remember why. Maybe it was just by comparison because everyone else didn't care, but I, I sort of enjoyed it. Um, so I think I did a fairly less terrible job than other people because I actually sort of cared and mm. found it fun. Interesting. So what, what was so the, the reason for switching the language to Spanish? What, what, I have no idea. <laughs> this was like... You don't remember? Eight. This was at least eight years ago. Eight. I think this is maybe even 10 years ago, actually. But it was your decision, right? I think so. Something like that. I, I think I had... I think I had it in my head that Spanish would be more useful, probably, because oh, more okay. countries spoke it. So, yeah. Okay. And would you have learned Spanish if you wouldn't have this choose, this mandatory I, choose to um, between French and Spanish? So I think at the time yeah. I wouldn't have minded it, and I remember when I entered high school, I even wanted to learn Chinese as well, okay. but. Like at the moment, I'm not so big on the utility of language learning. Um, but back then I thought, I think I thought it was useful. Hmm, okay. Yeah. We, we have exactly the, the opposite experience. Be, because <laughs> I am from Spain and I was being taught English later on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I um, if you went to India, do you speak Hindi or one of the, those languages? Oh, sure as hell no. I really wish I did, but like my mother tongue, um, I, I can speak Spanish, Korean, and Japanese all better than I can speak my mother tongue. And like the Korean especially, my Korean is very shitty, but I can speak my mother tongue even worse. Um, my parents say that they taught it to me when I was like a very small child, like a baby. Hmm. And I only spoke it though, and I didn't speak any English. So I think my dad was like... Ah, uh, no, this cannot be. And then they only spoke to me in English, and I completely, more or less, forgot how to speak it. Hmm. I can still, like, understand it a bit, but, like, very poorly. Uh, and I sort of really regret it, because, like, hmm. all my cousins can speak at least, like, two languages. Like, English, and then maybe the local language, maybe our mother tongue, hmm. sometimes Hindi. Like, even my driver in India could speak, like, four languages, and, like, fluently, too. Hmm. Yeah. Would you, so like, always... I, mm -hmm. would you like to be able to speak your mother tongue? Yeah, but I don't think I'll ever get around to actually learning it. Like, my, like, like I guess the main people I'd be able to talk to it with that I wouldn't otherwise be able to talk to it in, like, are, like, old people. But yeah. that's not that useful. And the thing is that my parents are from a city called Bangalore. And it's in a state called Karnataka. And the local language is Kannada, the national language is Hindi, and my mother tongue is called Telugu, and it's a language of like a completely different state. So hmm. it wouldn't even be that useful if I went back to Bangalore. Um, 
So I don't, I don't think I would. If I were ever to learn an Indian language, it'd probably be Hindi. But I'm more interested, I think, in like East Asian languages. Hmm. Then, yeah. Then I'm guessing you were two years in the um, in high school, right, in India? Yeah, yeah, the last so, two years. So then I guess you did that in English. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So an international school of some sort. Do you know what IB is? It's a curriculum. Have you heard of it? Ideas? No, IB. IB. International Baccalaureate. I don't know what Baccalaureate means. Ah, okay. Yeah, ah, it's like hmm. some theoretically fancy curriculum. I kind of <laughs> hated it though. Um, like when I was in the US, I'd been a terrible student because I never studied, but I got like decent enough grades. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I sort of like, if I could have dropped out, if I read Sam and Supernugger, I probably would have dropped out in the U S but I didn't like absolutely hate my school. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was still like genuine interest in learning and reading from the people I was around. Um, in India and in IB, there are a lot of smart people that were as smart as the people I had, had like met back in the US. But like very, very small minority actually enjoyed reading. Um, and a lot of people like didn't care about learning itself. And they were mostly just trying to get good grades. Um, actually, pretty much everyone was just interested in the grades so they can get into a fancy university. I don't I don't blame them. Like I can see why it makes sense. Um, but like IB was just way more are way less flexible. So I think it just led to way worse experiences because you were just learning what's on the curriculum and there wasn't room for a detour. And uh, you had to cover all the portions or, or what they called it of the curriculum. You had to cover everything. And that meant everything was like, you, you couldn't be behind. Like they had to rush to, to fulfill everything. So you wouldn't do terrible on the test. It, it wasn't, it wasn't great. There are a lot of nice people, but I think IB is a terrible curriculum. I will say for counterbalance, I have a friend who is a social psych professor from Canada and he did IB. And I think he was one of the very first batches of people to do IB at his school or something. And he, he really liked it. Um, I just say that because I, I strongly dislike it, but I don't know if it's because they just did it terribly in India. Maybe it's better in Canada. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. What I hear in India is that th there's so much competition because there's too yeah. many people to, to get into college or. Um, so I think mine was a bit different because basically the competition is like really insane for local students, for local universities and stuff, like really, really insane. Hmm. Um, now because I was doing IB, IB is actually easier than the local curriculum. <laughs> and, um, I, I am grateful that I at least didn't have to do the local curriculum, which I think would be even worse than IB. Um, but yeah, I've seen it be like really cutthroat. Like I have a friend here in Japan who's from India hmm. and um, he did like the accounting exams. And I think his year, there was like a 3% pass rate. It's absolutely bonkers how like 3%. hellish hmm. the uh, competition is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, long story short, if you will go back in time, will you do the same going to India to do the international baccalaureate? degree and so on um IB. i think well it would have been worth it if when i moved to korea i hadn't been lazy and i'd done more work then it would have been all worth it because i i could, had a pretty good opportunity back in korea but 
I think because I mugged that up, I probably would have been better off staying in the US. I don't really know exactly though, because like it's hard. Like I haven't been back to the US in three years and I haven't lived there in like five or six years. Hmm. And um, I think I probably have also missed out on a lot of socialization from talking to just more people. Like in, in Korea and Japan, I had like, I have some friends, but nowhere near as many as I'd have in the US. So I think overall, I haven't really found it was that worth it to move around so much. Um, hmm. A lot of people find it like think, oh, it must have been hard or it must be very interesting. But what I've sort of found very universally is that if you stay in a place long enough, it becomes routine and you don't really notice it as special anymore. Um, like I, I specifically remember like the first time I came to Japan, uh, when I was, this was when I was living in Korea, I remember thinking it was cool as hell and being very surprised about, um, how well everyone dressed and now it's not salient to me at all. I never think about it, but I remember being really surprised by that when I like first came here. Yeah, it's like and a cultural shock. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But it all, it all fades at some point. Yeah, exactly. It was novelty. Yeah. Because you're exposed every day. So it becomes the norm. Yeah, 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 hmm. basically. And did you felt any any main difference from the US in and in India? How the school is perceived, how the students behave in class, this kind of thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, please. I let me and I haven't thought about it in a while, but um I think that there's like, so I went to a fancy private school in the US and the school I went to in India was also a private school. But I, I remember in the US, um, there was like a fair bit more of like genuine interest in things. And um, I had like a lot of people I really liked, like all this, yeah, there are a lot of really nice people and there were some in India too, but I don't know. Um, Ah, okay. I think I know. I think another thing I, I want to gesture at. Okay. So I, I like in like the U S income inequality is like a problem. Um, mm -hmm. but it's not like anywhere near as much as it is in India. And, um, in, in the U S like you don't have these inherent barriers or like a poor person talking to like a CEO of like Apple would be weird. Like you can, you can sort of do it. Um, and there's not, it, it doesn't feel insane. I think in India, like the income inequality is, is absolutely horrible. And, um, the class barriers feel a lot stronger. Um, and I think what sort of happens because of that is my family is fairly well off, but I have a, a lot of relatives that are like really wealthy. Hmm. And, um, what I found is that a lot of them are sort of very callous about what they have. Um, they don't really appreciate it very much and. Like, I can't blame them. I think when you live in a third world country long enough, like you, you can't really care about all the people you see that are like poor or not doing great, or you'll just sort of go insane because there's so many of them. Hmm. Um, what I sort of found is that like a lot of the people I knew in India, like relatives, especially tended to be very callous. A lot of the people I met, I think a lot of people like wasn't a problem for but i did meet i think some people who i thought were kind of callous and like in the u.s i would never meet someone that i would say like at my u.s school that was like i would say was like 
a real bully or rude. But in India, I think I found people like that on occasion who didn't really have so much in brains, but had lots and lots of money. And that I didn't like so much. Hmm. But I don't know. It's, I, I guess like I'm used to it now, having lived in India and the US, but I guess for other people, it's probably worthwhile to spend some time in a third, third world country. Like I think, I, I think I'm used to living in Korea and Japan and India and all, all that now, but I, I think it did expand my perspectives on things in useful ways. And I think it's really easy to be blind to things that are far away. Like, actually, I think that's just the default. Like, I think it's really hard to see clearly things in places that you haven't been to. Like, to think that that's a real place, there are actual things happening there. Yeah. Like, I think when you do actually see that, um, like, I, this is a bit of a tangent, but something I've been thinking about a lot recently is um, people's perceptions of the scope of time and place. And what I mean by this is recently I was reading a memoir. Um, I think it's the memoir of a Japanese woman. I, I'll, I'll send it to you. I think it's not the complete title, okay. but it's basically about this uh, political activist who's thrown in jail and she's writing her memoir about her entire life. And when I read it, it was really horrifying because her life was not great. Um, like basically she had a deadbeat dad and a lot of times had like no food and she was basically went to Korea with her grandmother for like nine, what was it? Six years, nine years and had a terrible time there was treated horribly. Hmm. And when I read all this, um, and like all these perspectives of how she perceived different things, it like expanded my scope of what I should be expecting from reality in the sense that for example, right now I have clean water and yeah. up until like very recently in, in most places, there's a good chance that you can get sick from drinking bad water. Um, but I never think about it. I never appreciate it because I've always had it. And I think like reading that book expanded my scope of time and how things could have been. And I think that like horizontally, like living in different places, expanded my scope of place and sort of the size of the world. Hmm. Um, but I still think that having like real, like a real scope of time and how many things have happened, how many people there weren't, how many different events have occurred throughout history and like a real sense of place and like all just how big the world is. It's really hard, but I think it's also really useful. Um, like I found that for in, in general, a rule that I've, I've found pretty true for the last like three years hmm. is that. Happiness is like your expectations minus reality. And um, I think it's really hard to set actually good expectations for your reality without like say reading a bunch or having a bunch of different experiences. Um, because if you just look at everyone else around you and you expect what everyone else around you expects and whatever modern society tries to push on you, I think it's really hard to be happy. Um, because there's just so much stuff that you could want and there's so much stuff that you already have and there's so little that you have that you're just satisfied with. So hmm. I don't know. I think, I think it's been sort of helpful in that sense, seeing stuff. Yeah. So, but, but I didn't want to, wanted to interrupt. So is that, sure. uh, yeah, there are so many things that we take for granted that when you move, for yeah. instance, in other countries, oh, I never had, um, 
to worry about getting access to clean water, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, I think it is. And it's it, like it, nearly impossible to actually be salient of it constantly. But I think if you're like constantly expecting the very worst from reality, I think it's really hard to be ha not happy. Like, hmm. if I think about how much worse my life would be if I'd born, been born 100 years ago as like an Indian peasant, man, life now is really, really awesome. I'm sure that's the same for pretty much everyone. Like, I think you're, you have a hard time finding a place where your life isn't vastly better than it was 100 years ago. But the only difference being that your expectations rose too high with that. Hmm. Yeah. And what will you tell yourself when you were being miserable? Um. Hmm. Feel, feel, feeling miserable. I think maybe. I think like three pieces of advice come to mind, hmm. or I guess four. The first one is read more stoicism. So I remember like when I was in high school, I went to, I think it was sometime around then I went to, to like a used bookstore with my mom and I picked out like a bunch of books that I wanted to read and we were going to buy them. My mom had forgotten her card at home. So we put them on, like they had them save it and we we're going to come back later and we never came back later. And sometimes I wonder, if I'd actually gotten those books and actually read them, where I've ended up now. Um, so that, that would be the first thing. I'd have wanted to read a lot more stoicism. Um, I think the second thing is I probably would have told myself to figure out how to use Supermemo and become friends with Waz. Because um, I'm sure if I'd done that, say, when I was in high school, like when I when I started incremental reading, I'd already I had already been through Indian school, and Indian school killed my interest in a lot of science. Hmm. Like I still enjoyed some amount of science, um, but like I, I no longer had any interest in like chemistry or physics really. Hmm. Um, before that, I I enjoyed computer science, but I'd, I'd been interested in like all of science. I think if I'd started using Superman in high school, uh, I would have had a great time. Like I really 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 enjoyed learning back then, uh, and I think I if I'd found the pleasure of learning then, I'd, I'd be a genius now. Um, I guess the third thing would be probably maybe either to recommend myself to, to start using less wrong, to talk to people from there hmm. or otherwise something about being miserable. It's not efficient and you should try to learn how to be not miserable. I don't know if I actually could have done that. Um, but I think that those are the main three things I would have wanted past me to have known. Hmm. Read about stoicism, figure out how to use incremental reading yeah. before, and read about, uh, about less wrong, that being miserable yeah. is not um, efficient. Yeah, yeah. Okay. May I ask what's for you the difference of being miserable and feeling miserable? miserable? Or is the oh, same I have no idea. I think it's the same. For you it's the same? So, the only, so the, if I feel that it becomes a state, if I feel, I am feeling miserable, ah, now I become okay. miserable. Yeah, you're after. Um, yeah, I think, I think I had like somewhat of a grasp of your perception is different from reality. I think I just didn't, the only, like the missing component there hmm. is, um, I didn't realize that 
I had overly high expectations. So I think if I had realized that, then I wouldn't have been miserable. Um, like I, I had gotten far enough that I basically understood the idea of attachment to stuff causes suffering. So you shouldn't attach yourself to things. But the thing is, I was still attached to this idea of uh, fixing the world. And I think if I'd, my expectations had been a bit lower, then I think it would have been fine. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because you said at the beginning that one of your goals is like helping um, to solve the world, the problems, the issues of uh, yeah of, of somebody else's. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you have that in mind when you were a kid? Yeah. 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 I at at the latest, I know that I was actively thinking about it when I was in late eighth grade. Hmm. I think that would have been maybe 2013 or 2012 sometime around then yeah hmm i went what you going back to something you said um that you were reading about the pleasure of learning yeah hmm. that, i think that was after after the indian I yeah when i was in korea uh, you were in korea already okay yeah did, did do you think you knew that already and you just become aware of it uh, about the pleasure um, of learning? Oh, actually, now that you bring it up, I don't mm. think I was aware of it. I thought learning was kind of cool, but I didn't realize that it was fundamentally pleasurable. Mm. Um, like, I think that I was much more well-versed in a lot of the pleasure learning stuff back then. And I remember it being really, really, really mind-blowing um, and extremely helpful framework for looking at things. Um, and I think back then, I, I don't even remember this that well now, but I think I had like in my head, I failed to do X. I'm a bad person. And after I read that, I realized that actually maybe it's not inherently my fault. Maybe like school, whatever I was doing just inherently sucked. Hmm. Um, and that was also really helpful. Yes. You all, so you first, you lost the interest on science, as you said. Uh, yeah, when I was in India, like yeah. when I was in Korea, I had a bit of an interest in uh, cryptography, but I never got that far with it. And also in programming, but I never actually sat down to learn it proper. And second is that you thought that you, you were not good enough, you were a failure and so on and so on. Yeah. Because you, yeah, you yeah. wouldn't have the capability of fitting the curriculum. Yeah. And like also in general, just my failures with like learning programming cryptography. Because, like, at, at the time, I had plenty and plenty of time. Like, I was free pretty much all day. But I was just getting nothing done, and I didn't like that back then. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, would you attribute that to the schooling you experienced? That you you couldn't experience pleasure by learning? Um, I don't know. Like, looking back, I think I'm sure there's something wrong. Because, like, I remember... In my summers too, I also had the same issue, um, except for like a bit of tinkering here and there that I thought was useful, like Linux and stuff. Like I, I just had a lot of time sit, like a lot of trouble sitting down and actually doing work. Um, I don't even know what would have fixed it back then. Like all I know is that now it's not so much a problem because I've gotten used to actually sitting down and starting. But back then I had a lot of trouble with that. And like at the time I hadn't read like Atomic Habits. I hadn't read about Waz's micro rules stuff. I had no idea how to build good habits. Um, 
I think at one point I tried and I had a good chance, but like I didn't implement it very well. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, I don't know. I like back, back then I like struggled a lot to get anything done. And I remember there were times when like, I thought going out every day would be a pain. And like, I was so lazy that I, I sometimes didn't even brush my teeth at night. Um, it was, it was a mess. Like it, it improved a lot. I think when I started incremental reading and I, like, I remember actually too, um, that I found that the days I didn't do incremental reading, I was generally way less happy. I don't know if that's mm. because like, it was just fundamentally pleasurable or if it was like, oh yeah, I've done something. My expectations are fulfilled, but that, that really was like major turning point. Like I have no idea where I'd be right now without it, mm. but not somewhere great. Interesting. Uh, just to point out, you said that you were lazy. So I, I, I know the criticism and I, I think there's something else there. I don't know what it is. It's easier to just chunk it into that word. Okay. Because th yeah. that's, that's also a bad habit that uh, students think they are lazy because they don't want to do the, the course, the, the homework and... Yeah. Hmm. I don't know, uh, going back in the Indian school, do you have a difference on how the workload, the homework? Um, I, I don't remember that well, but I think Indian school is actually a fair bit easier if I had had good time management skills, which I did not have at all. And, uh, <laughs> basically I like in the U S I could sort of manage cause I had good relationships with a lot of my teachers and like other people. But in India, I think I bungled a lot of stuff because I didn't have enough oversight. And the thing is like in class, teachers liked me. So they trusted me, which was not a good idea. And, uh, I had like, I, I would generally like always be procrastinating on everything hmm. and just doing everything at the last minute. Um, if I'd had good time management though, it would have been fairly easy. I don't think IB is that hard. Like once you take some of the really fancy class, otherwise it's generally pretty easy. Hmm. Yeah. So you always had good relationships with, um, the teachers. Yeah. Yeah. That's because you're awesome or there's there was <laughs> a certain, uh, interest on achieving that. So I, I generally, and still have like a genuine interest in learning. Hmm. Um, so whenever someone is explaining something, I like to ask questions a lot, probably hmm. some people would say too much, maybe, but. I think that even though I was probably late on like homework and stuff, like the teachers probably liked me because I actually cared. And there are oftentimes some not so well-behaved students. So I was generally pretty reasonable. So I think that also made me better okay. than average, I guess. But, okay. I'm curious. Can you describe what is you for you good behavior? Oh, man, it's been a long time, but <laughs> I, I, I'm just, well, I, I don't remember that well. I just very specifically <laughs> remember I had this, well, basically, um, a, a big part of me not liking science so much anymore was that, um, basically I was in this physics class, which had in the first year, two, like not very good teachers hmm. and <laughs> Basically, like it, it was an only boys class too, uh, which made it even worse. So 
Um, basically, I just remember that generally students would say, be talking while the teacher is talking, not pay attention to what he was saying hmm. or like talk back. And no one really cared what the teacher said because like that, <laughs> I don't even know how to convey it properly. Um, I, I just find it f very funny to think about because, um, we had a lot of antics back then. I, I guess like I generally was a bit more respectful. Like I wouldn't interrupt or something. And I, and I asked questions and showed some kind of genuine enthusiasm. <laughs> um, I, I don't remember exactly what other kids did. That was exactly bad, but I, I, yeah. Um, I guess I should also mention something else you might find interesting hmm. is a lot of us skipped a lot of school back then. Like, I think I missed at least two months of school in India. Some of that was like out of my control, but a lot of that was just intentionally skipping school. And okay. something I found funny is, do you know that meme of like the 140 IQ people being smart and doing a good thing? And then the 60 IQ people also doing a good thing. Hmm. Do you know the meme I'm talking about? Yeah. So basically, um, it was sort of the same for skipping school. Like all the smart kids would skip school to study. All the stupid kids would skip school because they didn't care. Hmm. And only the, the kids in the middle who like either just thought, uh, like, I guess like their parents wouldn't let them or they're in the boarding, hmm. um, stay, but I skipped like plenty of school back then. I thought that was great. Cause in the U S you, you don't really skip school. It'd be very weird to skip school like without a good reason. Yeah. It, it, because, uh, you have legal consequences, right? Or at least the parents, something like that, something yeah. like that. I don't know. Like I, I, I just know that in the U S I totally would have skipped way more school for sleep if I could. Hmm. But there I couldn't. In India, I, I know I skipped a lot of school for sleep. My sleep was pretty bad back then. Oh, that's a good topic to sleep. <laughs> but before going there, let, let, I have more, more curiosity. Sure. Is that you said th that was all boys school? Oh, no, no, no. The class, the physics class I was thinking about only had boys. Uh, only the physics. Not, like not. just like there was multiple classes of physics and most hmm. of them were mixed. It was just that <laughs> I think that there were teachers deciding which students they wanted. And yeah. <laughs> one, one teacher took all the girls and all the smart saving kids <laughs> and the other one just left with the dregs. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that, that didn't make yeah. sense. Okay. Yeah. So everything else was mixed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And also, uh, the other students were perceived that you were asking too much as a negative con connotation. Oh, no, I don't think they cared. Um, okay. I, I think, yeah, I, I think, I don't think I've ever had the experience. Anyone was like, you're asking too many questions. Really? Um, like, except for like one or two times that I was asking stupid questions. Well, not stupid questions. I think questions were, I, I thought it was interesting, but I didn't actually bother to do anything with the knowledge. Hmm. But I think generally I've, I've been lucky on that. Okay. Yeah. And you have a sleep issues. That was because, uh, I guess, the, um, the schedule was very early in the morning every day. Um, yeah, I think it was a big part was just that. I don't know what it was, but I think until like a few years ago, sometime after, I, yeah, I guess sometime either around when I was in high school in India or after I graduated, it, it was fine. But hmm. like for pretty much my entire childhood, I'd had terrible sleep. Um, and no one really knew why. And I got in like a sleep study done. I think now it was just that my brain wouldn't shut up. Um, and probably if I had gotten more exercise, 
or I just didn't have to wake up early, I probably would have been fine. But yeah, that then I had to wake up at like seven, and obviously I did not enjoy that. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Like I, I think at the time, and for most of high school, I usually spent a lot of time screwing around with something or the other. And for a lot of high school, my main interest was say, um, like Linux and messing around on my computer. No, no. And um, other times, like I was watching a lot of anime, and a lot of times that like th those kinds of things would screw my sleep too. Um, it feels so weird to think about how primitive my approach to fixing stuff like that was back then. Like now, now I don't think it would have been that hard for me to fix those problems. But like I, I basically never realized that trying really hard was a terrible strategy and pretty much never works and that you have to think harder than that. Hmm. And basically that's all I tried and obviously never worked. So my sleep was just constantly terrible. Hmm. Yeah. I'm guessing because you were very passionate about the computer Linux and you went to bed uh, uh, late. Well, <laughs> you know, the feeling of it's 1am your Linux is doing weird things. What the hell is this? You can't let the problem beat you. You got to keep up. You got to keep at it. You know the feeling? Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm very guilty of this. Yeah. Yeah. That, that happened to me all the time. And I basically never got to the point where I was like, all right, this problem, I can work on it tomorrow. And so I, I basically was always just staying up to fix something or the other. Um, <laughs> it was just not great. Um, hmm. And it really kind of curbed the issue now, but not using things which I need to spend lots of time to fix. Um, like it's a lot of fun messing around with Linux, but I don't know. The overhead is kind of annoying. Like, yeah. So we could say that the reason was the forced awakening with an alarm clock. I think it was partially that. I think it was also there was, I guess, DSPS or some other inherent issue. Um, but it wasn't just the Force Awakening, there was something else. But the Force Awakenings definitely terribly sucked, and mm. I hated them. Uh, you, did you uh, took something like uh, caffeine or tea or whatever? No, no. Like, basically, I've always avoided coffee because mm. when I was a kid, so my dad's a doctor, and he's also constantly sleep deprived. So obviously, in the morning, he has to drink himself some coffee. Mm. And I think it's something about the, the nose of children, but I always hated the smell of coffee. Uh, now I don't mind it, but when I was a kid, I really hated the smell, so I never touched it. And I saw that my uncle and my dad were addicted, so I never wanted to become dependent on caffeine either. So I never mm. bothered. Okay. I, the only caffeine I've really depended on is yerba mate, and I think I started drinking that maybe a year and a half ago. Yerba mate is great. I love it. It's a pain to get here, but I love it. Yes, yeah, in Japan, it's I think the the mainstream is the green tea, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I like green tea too, but I, I try yerba mate because it has higher content of caffeine. But actually, maybe I should try green tea because I know green tea also has a bit of caffeine as well. Yeah, but I guess it's hard to get in, in Japan. Yeah, I basically had to buy the yerba mate off Craigslist because anything that ships was so expensive. Like The shipping was more than the yerba mate itself. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess that. Yeah. And why are you compensating the sleep with uh, naps? Siestas. Oh no, I knew nothing about naps. I basically, I, I generally did not nap at all. Um, it was only much, much, much later that I realized naps are great. Now I take them daily, but back then I didn't know nothing about them. So I wasn't napping very much. Hmm. Now you do it daily, on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good, good. 
Do, do you want to add something I didn't ask about the school? Um. Oh, about school? Yeah. Because I'll, I guess I'll... I hmm. I should mention. Um. So I, I have ADHD, and um. Basically, I took medications for it for most of my teenage years and I very much regret it. Um, I think it varies person to person, but I think, well, I, I think the main thing I sort of regret now um, from taking ADHD medication is that I became a lot duller and I didn't have many friends until like I stopped taking the medication and when I was in India. Hmm. Um, and I also don't like that, how do you call it? Like I, I, like for people listening to this that have ADHD, if you're going to take medication, I would strongly consider the trade-offs. Uh, and I think it varies a lot depending on the medication, but I think for me, the trade-offs were pretty big and pretty bad. And I didn't really understand them at the time. Hmm. Um, the expected benefit you're supposed to get from the medication when you're in school is that you can sit down and do work. And um, I don't know if I'd benefit from taking some ADHD medication now. Maybe I would, but it, it just wasn't really worth it. And I think that, like, I haven't talked about it at all, but, like, I had a lot of trouble socializing when I was in high school. Hmm. And it only got better after I moved to Korea. And I think it's because of the medication and that I had so few friends uh, for the rest of the time, actually, when I was in, like, middle school hmm. and early high school. In that's interesting because I, for what, uh, as far as I know, uh, in US, that's that's over diagnosed, the ADHD. Yeah, and they it also, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, and they also take drugs very easily. Yeah. Well, um, it was your decision or your parents' decision to take medicine. Wow, prescription so drugs. So, my mom cares about me a lot, so. Mm -hmm. She took me to a bunch of visits, the psychologist, psychiatrist, I don't remember which is which. Hmm. And essentially, I wasn't really opposed to it. I thought, oh, okay. And I, and I took it. And I think, like, towards the beginning of high school, I did not want to keep taking it. And I think I finally stopped in the second year of high school, or when I was in India, one of the two. Um, I, I don't think, like, ADHD is, like, completely bogus. And... Um, Something that has been recommended to me multiple times that I found useful was, I think his name is Russell Berkeley. He has some videos about ADHD. Hmm. And um, I think like a lot of ADHD stuff is like, I don't know, how do you call it? Not, well, ba basically saying that if you can't, if you're a fish and you can't fly, you're a fool. Like, I think a lot of the ADHD stuff is like that and expecting everyone to be able to fly. But yeah. I think there's some amount of truth to it. And, um, like, I, I've been finding it useful. Like, recently I started going through this book. I think it's called CBT for ADHD or something like that. I can send a link later. Okay. Um, but I've been finding that book helpful. Um, like, I've had a lot of, say, time management issues and organization issues. And I think that, like, there is legitimate stuff that is legitimately useful for ADHD. Um, so I, I guess, like, I'm not in favor of ADHD as a social construct. Um, but I'm also not in favor of you should be drugging everyone. I think there's this sort of balance. And I think that there are a lot of options people don't really look at. And there's, like, a lot of 
issues that come just, I think, from general perceptions of school and what it means to study and the utility of that. Yeah. So getting there is that, do you think that the schooling was exacerbating your ADHD? Yeah. I have very few doubts that if I hadn't gone to school, I probably would have figured out how to organize my time and other things mm. much better. Um, instead, what I was sort of end up, ended up with, like with school, was a loop of, I failed this thing. This is very bad. I'm going to try hard and I'll do great. I failed again. This is really bad. And it's like a repeated cycle of constant failure and saying, I'm going to do better next time. And then that not happening. Yeah, it's a loophole, uh, but it only gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, cause like at some point you just don't trust yourself and that's not hmm. a great feeling at all. Um, like I'm, I definitely screwed around a lot when I had free time, but I think if I had just not gone to school, I genuinely cared about things, and I'm pretty sure at some point I would have figured out how to do things for the things I cared about. Um, and like a lot of my brain power and self-trust that was lost, would I would have still had that. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, when you decided to stop taking prescription drugs, did your parents boast that idea, or you were free to? Um, my mom was. Like, I think she was kind of okay with it. Um, like, yeah, I think, I think she was like, okay with it. I think I had good reasons. Like it was really killing my ability to socialize. Um, I think when I was in the U S and I suggested it, I don't think she'd been as big on it, but I don't think she would have like forced me to take it if I really hadn't wanted to. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And how long overall, because this was across the years, right? Yeah. Like how long was it taking ADHD meds? Yeah. For how long you took, you took them? I think seven years, maybe. Wow. Seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a long shot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and did your parents or the psychiat what, the, the expert psychiatrist, psychologist and so on, um, suggested homeschooling or unschooling? Oh, definitely never. Never? Um, like my parents are definitely more liberal than average. Um, hmm. I'm happy I didn't grow up in India, but they, it, like, it was never a thing they considered. Like I know it occurred to me when I was a kid that this whole school stuff seems really inefficient. And hmm. if you wanted to be raising geniuses, couldn't you like fit so much more in and so much better structure? But like, I never took it really seriously. I remember thinking when I was maybe in India, maybe I could try homeschooling, but I never like took it seriously enough. Hmm. Um, like something I found sort of interesting in general is, uh, do you know the lecture you and your research by Richard Hamming? No, not so familiar. Okay. So this is probably like my favorite lecture of like all the ones I've watched. Hmm. Um, I'll, I'll send you a link after, but. Okay. Like one of the core ideas from it is that if you want to do important work, you have to work on important problems. And his definition of an important problem is something where you have an attack. Um, so the sort of corollary to this that I'd forgotten about until I rewatched the lecture recently is you have to have a lot of courage if you want to actually work on important problems, because you have to be willing to say, wow, that's an actual opportunity. I can actually try this and something could actually happen. Hmm. And that's really hard. Like 
I think people underestimate just how hard it is to take ideas actually seriously. Um, it, I don't know. I think, I think that's like one of the biggest things that I want to see more of from other people to think about what are important problems they can work on and to take seriously the fact that they could work on it. And after that, to actually try to have the courage to do that. Um, and I guess this is all sort of interesting in the context of Richard Hamming himself, um, who I think got the courage to work on important problems, because if I recall correctly, he was at Los Alamos when they were working on the Manhattan Project. And I think it's kind of hard to work on a nuclear bomb, have it actually work and not have the courage to try something else after that. Hmm. Um, but I think a lot of modern people don't have good examples of someone near them actually trying really hard and actually succeeding at a big problem. So no one else thinks they can do it either. Um, but yeah, I guess sort of related, there's this quote from Steve Jobs, it's something like all the things around you were made by people no smarter than you. Yeah. And I remember that. your life changes when you actually understand that. And I think it's like really insanely hard though to actually grasp that everything around you is actually made by a human. That was not a genius. That was just, just a human. Um, and it's just pretty crazy how much potential I think individuals have. And I think it's pretty crazy how poorly we use it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So just a little, well, a phrase a little is that, sure. um, the individual capacity is wasted due to the schooling. So every one of um, us, yeah. or most of us can be a genius has a potential of beco becoming a genius. I, I think that I, I remember that Waz has like, he's written about this somewhere. And, mm. um, I think he talks about how personality is the main prerequisite for genius, not raw intelligence. Yeah. And I think intelligence helps and in that it makes it more like easy to get interested in solving problems since it's easier for you. But I think like, if you have the right personality, I think that's like half of it. So I was reading, surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman recently. Um, about Richard Feynman, who won the Nobel Prize and did some fancy physics work of some sort or the other. Hmm. And what I found really interesting is that he had an obsession with solving problems, uh, all kinds of problems. And like, it's just very rare to see people that have the same level of genuine enthusiasm about solving problems. And I think it's also very like, uh, a very more significant amount of people are interested in say software or computers. And I think like a lot of other fields just don't have that people interested in them. And I think that's sad because I think you get the best work when you're obsessed with a field, when that's like what's constantly on the top of your mind. Um, and what do you think? Yeah. What do you think? What's the cost? The reason that people doesn't have this genuine interest. Oh, well, I think it's just coercion. Um, yeah, I was expecting that. <laughs> Finally, the key word coercion. I didn't want yeah. to say that. Okay. The question yeah. is, please tell me how many geniuses there are that went to the school. Um, how many geniuses went yeah, to school? Tell me some genius that he, he gathered at that level of genius from school. Well, I don't or, know about from or, school, but or Peter Wozniak definitely went to school. Yeah, but I'm guessing you're right. 
Okay, <laughs> guys, you've got it from school, right? Okay, let's take. I don't that, think I know for anyone. Instance, do, for if your listener don't don't know who he is, he's the creator of Spade Repetition, uh, Super Memo, Incremental Reading, and so on. So let's take. He, he went to the I think a public school. Yeah, just a regular, no, no, nothing out of the ordinary. But do you think he will solve the problem of learning of what he learned on school or what he did after free learning? Well, definitely after. Like the the point the point I think you're trying to make, I definitely yeah. agree with. Like it's a lot harder to do good work if you're bogged down by school stuff. Hmm. Take for instance, I I, I don't like to make personal anecdotes because you are the guest. Um, I had so many ideas on college, not only in school, but in college. I was also proposing mm -hmm. ideas and it was rejection after rejection after rejection. So the yeah. creativity is killed, annihilated. Yeah, it's... so... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I I'm just immediately reminded by what you said about this lecture I was watching recently. Hmm. Um, and what it basically was talking about is this idea of convergent thinking and divergent thinking hmm. with divergent thinking being like idea generation and convergent thinking being like chopping off bad ideas, finding the best ones. And what I very specifically remember from that video is basically they have some sort of creativity test. I, I don't know if it's a good test or not. I'd have to look into it again, but basically the like 98% of like five-year-olds scored really well and like two percent of adults scored well and like teenagers are somewhere in the middle but like well well below 50 percent and um something i found interesting is that i think people are way too quick to cut stuff down i'm way too quick to do that too i don't i don't know how to like fix it besides trying more stuff and then actually having good results but i think i found that that's a big issue like either just having to chop down all your ideas because of other people's influence or just not believing in it yeah. I think it's just so much easier when you have freedom to experiment. But are you referring to heuristics? Um, that you make well, a, I, quick, I mean, a quick, a quick mm -hmm. uh, judgment? Like what I sort of mean is I, I realize that I have a bad habit when recently I, I've been working a little bit on this like sleep fixing framework, I would call it. And um, I realized that whenever I was trying to generate ideas, I was very quickly also killing them. And um, that, I think, sort of limits the quality of the ideas I can get. I think if I spit out way more ideas, then there's a larger chance that I can cut down after that and probably end up with a better idea than the narrow thing that comes up that I think is good from like the first few tries. Um, and I think like my friend Squid, for example, is yeah. much better, though, in this regard. Um, like I think a lot more frequently than I do when he has like an idea of something to write or something he thinks is interesting, he's a lot more willing to experiment with it than I am. Um, and I've also noticed like in, in general, I like talking to children cause I've noticed that they're like a lot more interesting to talk to cause they don't just cut off routes of thinking. They're sort of willing to entertain pretty much anything. Hmm. And I think that just makes it so much more fun. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a very big pain to find adults that don't constantly have to filter what they're thinking or to cut down their ideas. And I think that just makes it, I don't know, I think there's places you can't go with that. 
I don't exactly know how much farther you could go if you hmm. can think more freely, but I'm exactly. going to try. Hmm. Just remember, Squid uh, was also a guest in the fifth episode, if you want to check out yeah. that episode. <laughs> and he's, he's very creative. He's just 15, and he's very creative. He, he definitely is. He's like one of my best friends. And I think in the beginning, like the delta between us is he was getting more from me than I was from him. But I think now it's sort of shifted. Now it's the opposite. And, it, and like, yeah, I'm definitely getting more from him than he's getting from me. Um, he's, he's great. He's great. Like and out of all the people I taught, I think he's probably my favorite. Um, he'd be probably somewhere in the next top five, but he's definitely my favorite. He's the leader of the end school slavery. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And because he takes his ideas seriously. That's the key point. I, yeah, I, I think he still has like issues because he doesn't have an unlimited time because he has school. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's so much like, man, if he had, I'm really looking forward to whatever he does over the summer. Because he's the kind of kid who, if you give him free time, is not going to waste it. Um, when I was in high school, I was definitely not like that. But I think he does lots and lots of very interesting things this time. And he does lots of really interesting writing as well. Yeah. Just, just wait when he's out of the school. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. Yeah. Really yeah. looking forward about that. Yeah. And you said that you enjoyed um, speaking to kids, to children. Yeah, yeah. Uh, may I ask if you were speaking to children on your years of, in the school, on high school? Um, so when I was in the US, I don't think I got the chance to do it that much. Hmm. Um, or at least I don't think I would have even been that interested. Like I had like, I didn't feel like socializing a lot of the time because of the ADHD medication. Yeah. I, I still think I sort of enjoyed talking to some of my younger cousins, but like when I was in India, um, when it became a lot more fun is at one of the places I'd been living in India, um, I had to come by bus to school hmm. and on the bus, there were a bunch of older children and there were some younger children hmm. and I didn't really like the older children very much. I think they were kind of mean, but the younger children were pretty funny and fun to talk to. So I like to talk to them. And I, I think from then on, I just found it a lot more interesting to talk to children. Um, and unfortunately, I haven't had the chance to do that so much, like in Korea or Japan. Um, but hmm. yeah, they're just so much more fun. Inter in, uh, why like, do you attribute that fun? Why do you cannot have so, this conversation with adults? So I, I, I guess I sort of look at it as a child is sort of like GPT-3. Like I can say anything I want and it'll spit out some response and it's always going to be something like that. I don't really expect. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's like, how do you call it? Like if I see a small, like if I see like a kid and I say, Hey, what are your thoughts on flowers? I can ask them that and they're not going to like say, what a weirdo. Well, they might, <laughs> but it's not going to be so bad. Yeah. But if I ask an adult that, they're going to be like, what are you on? And it'll be really weird. Yeah. It's fine to like ask those kinds of Medication or what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
so I, like that's the kind of thing I like doing. Like when I'm talking to children, like to ask them those kinds of insane questions and then to see what they'll say. Yeah. And stuff that's like out of the blue. Yeah, that's actually something I didn't ask to an adult. What's what what's what's the meaning of flowers, for instance? <laughs> yeah. 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 I will have trouble to answer this question now. <laughs> Put that into words, yeah. Yeah, I don't think children have trouble with it. Or like, it, like I think if you ask me that, I'll also struggle. But like, it's a different kind of struggle than when you give it to a child. Like for a child, they'll think about it for like five seconds. They'll give you a response. If yeah. you ask me, there's a good chance I won't come up with a good response. I don't, I don't know exactly what changes there. Hmm. But there's something about like children's brains that is just so much more free. Yeah. It's more, I don't know what it's called in English. That it is still developing, so there's more plasticity. Hmm. I think that's part of it. I think it's also they don't have these internalized walls or expectations. Yeah, exactly. That rigidity yeah. you experience when you are a well-schooled adult. That you're acquired. Yeah. yeah, you're acquired all of the bad habits, and this is also makes changes in the brain. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, in other words, there's a point that you cannot undo those bad habits because you have physical um, and, and physiological changes in your brain. Kind of, but I think the way you're phrasing it is yeah. not good in the sense that Waz talks about this idea of determinism. I don't know if he calls it determinism exactly, but the idea is that where I am right now is like deterministic, like where I'm, where I'm going is also deterministic. So let's say that right now I spill water all over my computer. Yeah. If you're looking at it from a deterministic standpoint, you'd say, well, it is what it is. It was going to happen anyways. Um, and you don't worry so much about the past. I think this kind of like the, the framing of you've sort of lost something permanent. You can never get back. I think is really not good way to look at reality. In, in a sense that like I've done a lot of that. Like I used to look at a lot of what I've done in the past as just regrets. And that was not fun. I think it's a lot better to just say reality is deterministic. So you can't really change anything about it. Like it's going to end up how it ends up and then to be sort of fine with it. Um, though I, I do get the underlying point. Like hmm. it's not, it, it's like a very significant amount of damage done to a very significant amount of the population. Exactly. For instance, I experienced uh, a great dose of schooling and I have yeah. been undoing most of the damage and bad habits, but it's not a complete as it, oh, nothing has been done. Yeah, though, like, I think you got to make do with like what you've got. Um, hmm. I don't know, like I, that, that I think, well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, which actually, uh, going back to your point, is that I needed those steps to become where I, I am today. I, I, I think, like, yeah. that's part of it, but it's more like, based on the laws of physics, it was inevitable. Like, you, you can't, like, you ended up where you ended up because that's where you started. And you're sort of the pro like the product of your environment. Exactly. So it's not like your fault or someone else's fault. It's no one's fault, but that's just how it is. So you just have, you're like, the best you can do is just accept it. Look what you can do in the future. Exactly. I didn't decide where to be born, who my parents are, uh, yeah. what country to live, and so and so forth. But today, 
I am free and I, and I have a goal and I can make those decisions. Yeah. And like better yet, like you were born actually in probably the top like first percentile of, of like humanity. Like imagine that you've been born like 800 years ago. Hmm. That would have been terrible. <laughs> so it could be a lot worse. It could really truly be so much worse than you expect. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So what's your, your recipe to, to achieve happiness? Um, so probably my biggest recommendation hmm. is read the Almanac and Val Rubicon, because <laughs> I think that has the best advice I've seen. And, um, I'll, I'll give my own summary of it, but okay. I'd probably trade like the bottom 50% of my collection just for that. Um, because it has so much well thought out stuff, but I, I think the core to happiness is your happiness comes from your expectations minus reality. Your expectations come from your desires. Mm -hmm. So look at what your desires are. If you have 15 desires, you're going to be miserable. Like there's no way to fulfill all of it. If you have one desire, you're probably going to be happy. Um, if you have like, like every, each desire more you have though, the harder it becomes to be happy because it's so much easier to do one thing than to do two or three. Um, I think the one thing a lot of people as underestimate is there's this fable of, uh, about this donkey who is stuck between hay and water and it thinks it can only get one. So it's just stuck though. It can't decide which one it wants first. Hmm. So it just dies. But like, I, I don't think there's anyone, anything preventing you from saying, all right, my main desire right now is X and I'm going to focus on this. And then after you finish that, like the switch is something else. Like, there's nothing that prevents you from doing that. Hmm. Like the, the modern paradigm of have like 15 things you want, all these crazy expectations. Like it's just not sustainable at all. So I would say trim down your desires, focus on something you can actually do that's within your reach and just keep in mind how much worse reality can be. Lower your expectations as much as you can. Hmm. Um, you'll be, you'll be fine. I think. Okay. And now do I have a bomb is, do you consider you were happy on your teenage years? Um, no. <laughs> okay. And uh, you will attribute that to the, to the school, to the, um, to the medication, your environment. Yeah. Lots of things. Really. I think it was just my expectations. Like I think expectations and physiological issues would say sleep. I think that was the main thing. Okay. So just to paraphrase a little is sure. the a great deal of that was due to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So the main like, cause of feeling miserable where your own thoughts are and ideas. Yeah. Like if, if you're in the modern era and you don't have to worry, like if you know Maslow's hierarchy, um, like I had all my basic needs met, I had all my physiological needs met, hmm. everything above that. Like there's this idea, I, I still don't entirely understand the depth of how useful it is, but basically whenever you have a surplus, your enjoyment or non-enjoyment of a thing is entirely due to your narrative of it. So like if you, if you don't have food and you get food and you have enough not to starve, like that is what it is. But if you have more food than you need, whether you look at that positively or negatively, it's just completely up to you. And obviously you'd think if you have enough food, you're, you're going to be happy. If you have more than you need, you're going to be even happier. Hmm. But I, I think like people sort of miss out on stuff like 
for example, I can go to a grocery store right now and I can buy like five different varieties of tofu. I can get all kinds of different foods and I can like make pretty much anything I want and it's just delicious, right? Hmm. And I think what people sort of miss out is that is surplus. Like you have more than you need. Like you have way more than you need. Like your ancestors would be eating like a small fraction of that diet. And the narrative there is entirely what controls your happiness or unhappiness. So I think if I had like a better narrative of my life and reality and my expectations, what I wanted, then yeah, I would have been fine. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you thought about reading, writing about all of these, even publishing a book? <laughs> so I think in general, I'm very um, paranoid about seeming like I don't actually know. Well, okay. For example, um, I'm not perfectly happy now. Like I still don't have everything down. I still haven't integrated a lot of this knowledge deeply enough that I can just apply it automatically and I'm just constantly happy. So if I wrote about this and I'm not actually using it perfectly, what am I doing? Um, that That's like the main barrier. Like I, I don't want to tell people stuff I'm not actually doing. Um, but I've been encouraged by another friend recently to have a bit more confidence in some of the stuff I do. So I don't know, like what I, my, my current project, the current thing I'm hoping to work a lot on is a sleep fixing system, which is sort of ironic since at the moment my sleep is not great. Um, but what I'm hoping is that I can make the framework and I can use it for myself. Hmm. Um, and then I'll see if it's actually good enough. Um, but I, I think in general, I'm probably going to do a lot more of that. I want to try out ideas before sharing them. I, I don't like that a lot of people, like to me, the measure of a writer is how much, like, does it change the reader to have read it? And I think most people just don't think about that. And I, I really don't like that. I don't want to just add more noise. I want to add stuff that has real value. Hmm. Um, so I want it to be stuff I've actually tested. Like, I don't know, I think it's too easy to say things. And it's very easy to not actually do something useful. Um, so I'm just thinking a lot about it. At some point, I'm probably going to start doing a lot more writing. I sort of enjoy incremental writing with Super Memo, but I'm slowly just trying to up the amount I do. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. So maybe in 2024, I, I could read your book, more or less. <laughs> that, that's my expectation. J just to make a, uh, an ironic comment. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. I'm hoping I'll have out something sooner. Like a sleep thing, I'm hoping I'll have out like at least a beta within a week or two. At least I can tell that you, you know your stuff about the sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Like the thing is, I'm very biased on it. Like I've only read Waz's stuff. I've read like pretty much all of it. Um, I guess what I feel is sort of qualifying me though to write about this is like very specifically, the issue I think most knowledge has is that the constraint on solving problems is not a lack of knowledge in a lot of cases, hmm. but a lack of systematic application of the knowledge. So I think that's what I'm sort of trying to figure out. Yeah, like something to bridge Waz's advice in actual people, because there's definitely something wrong. Like I read all of Waz's stuff. Hmm. Like I'm probably 95th percentile in terms of the sleep knowledge and my sleep is still terrible. So I want to fix that gap. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Do you want to add anything else? Um, I guess I would add one other thing. If you're interested in helping other people and doing the maximum good, check out Effective Altruism in 80,000 Hours. 
So a lot of the stuff I'm doing doesn't really fit into it. So I haven't like, I'm, I haven't like been that directly involved with it, but I think if I discovered effective altruism, which is basically the same ideals that I have, like, how can you do the most good? Hmm. Um, like get the most value for every dollar. If I'd found that when I was a kid, I think I'd be so much happier right now. Um, but anyways, if you're interested in helping people, I would check out effective altruism, 80,000 hours. That's it. Okay. So we, we will have a list of all the links you said yeah. and that will be in the description so you can check it out. Yep. Okay. So if nothing more, more to add. Yeah. I guess we can wrap it up. Thanks for listening. I know it's not even listen this far. Yeah. If you reached that, that point, please, um, leave a comment. Uh, we can discuss and you can also join the discord channel uh, and that's it. Yep. Yep. See you next time. We just